Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. She taught me more about Jesus than I ever taught her. I'll never forget the first time I met her, my pastor, right after a worship service very much like this one introduced me to her. And uh, he found out she was married to, oh, that's all right, brother. No, that's all right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He found out that she was married to a young man. They were both a very young couple. And so therefore, my pastor wanted my wife and I to meet this brand new couple that came to church. And so we met them, and we began to strike up conversation, and we, it wasn't long before we found out that we had a lot of things in common. And so naturally, we invited them to be a part of our small group that met on Friday nights in our home. And as we were in that setting, we got to know them even better. They loved the Lord, and we found out he was raised a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. She was a Pentecostal Christian. And we continued, amen, well... We continued to journey through the scriptures together. And it wasn't long as we were growing in the scriptures that we came across some of our unique beliefs as Seventh-day Adventists. We began to journey and share those beliefs as Seventh-day Adventists in the light of the love of God as revealed in Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, in the light of the gospel. The more we dug into truth, the more we dug into Jesus, we got deeper in Christ. And we were all growing together. And it wasn't long before Nikki, her husband was Chandler, it wasn't long before Nikki approached me and she said, CJ, I want to be baptized as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. I was excited. It was the first time I had ever discipled someone to the point of baptism, and so I was elated. And I told my pastor, I called him up, and he said, CJ, I want you to be there with me in the pool when we baptize her. This is not Pastor CJ. This is just CJ Cousins, you know. So I'm thinking, I'm in the pool with the pastor baptizing somebody. So this was very special to me. It wasn't long after that that she began to share her faith with her family. And they now initially were a little bit skeptical. you got to understand, they were very prominent, very active in their local Pentecostal church. And so they initially were a little skeptical. But then when they saw that the Holy Spirit was doing something in her life, the fruit of the Spirit was appearing in her life. They saw that she had grown in truth as it is in Jesus. They said, you know what? We want to be there. We want to celebrate with you as you grow deeper in Jesus Christ. And so then came the baptism, and we were all there. We celebrated her baptism. And it wasn't long after her baptism that she began to use her spiritual gifts to serve in the local church. She had a beautiful voice, and she would record, and her husband played the guitar. And so it was natural that they all became a part of our praise and worship team. 
My wife and I also sing, and so we all sang and worshiped together. We would go and travel sometimes and sing together. And it wasn't long that I started to notice that she had the gift of hospitality. She had the gift of helps. She had a nurturing and caring spirit. And so oftentimes for our small group gatherings, she would prepare food so that we could eat together in community. The Lord began to bless their house. And just like we saw that baby blessing today, beautiful young baby, by the way, the Lord blessed them with a baby called Noah. And I'll never forget around this same time, the Lord was then calling me to the pastoral ministry to transition and go to Andrews University. And so my wife and I started to get our house together. You know, we're starting to set aside a day that we're going to go ahead and transition and pack and clean and get ourselves together. And on that very same day, we hear a knock at the door. It was Nikki, it was Chandler, and their little baby. And they said, CJ, Deidre, we're here to help you clean, and we're to help you pack, and we're not taking no for an answer. Now, I didn't ask them to do this. They simply did it out of love. I'll never forget, Nikki... Nikki had her baby, and she placed her baby in a little blanket, and she placed the baby on the ground and got on her knees and began to clean our house, our four-bedroom, three-bathroom house. She taught me more about Jesus than I ever taught her. And Nikki understood and lived something that we're going to experience from Jesus today in John chapter 13. The gospel according to John chapter 13. I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me or use your devices. John chapter 13, beginning in verse number one. And for those of you that are watching online, we want to welcome you to our worship experience here at RPC. And I want to invite you to go to our website, rpcsda.org. That's rpcsda.org. We prepared a study guide for you. Just click on the uh, sermon graphic for today. He loved them to the end. When you click on that, you receive a sermon study guide for today's journey through John chapter 13. Praise the Lord. I also want to thank uh, Gilchrist. Thank you so much for that song. It was a beautiful song, so appropriate for today. Touch my heart. John chapter 13 and verse 1. When you're there, please let me know by saying amen. amen. Praise the Lord. It's always my custom before we go into the word of God to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to be the one to speak to us today. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, loving God, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you had a love so deep that it took you, Lord, to the cross. And we want to see the cross. We want to see your love in Jesus Christ in all of its glory today. And we want to forget about the speaker. But we want to see Jesus. And so we're asking, Lord, reveal yourself. Show up today. Touch some heart, some soul, including the preacher. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, amen. Jesus launches his ministry with a small group of 12 disciples. Together they preached 
together. They taught together. They healed the masses. They served together. They did life together. They were, in essence, community. In the presence of Jesus, they grew spiritually. You know that in the presence of Jesus, you can't remain in the presence of Jesus and not grow spiritually. Amen? They were nurtured by the master teacher and reached out to the multitudes. You see, Jesus' whole strategy, Jesus' whole strategy, family, was to re-educate and disciple the 12 in regards to his mission and his death. In essence, Jesus was banking on them getting it. When it came to who he was and the principles of the kingdom of God. And after three and a half years of doing tour Jesus, the Jesus tour, they still didn't get it. Three and a half years of walking and talking with God in human flesh and the disciples were still in the dark. And no wonder, just look at some of the characters that hung out with Jesus. Let's look at some of the people that rolled with Jesus. Simon the Zealot. You've got to understand that the zealots in the first century in Palestine were a group of assassins. These were your modern day or, or, or your, in, the, in the first century, your terrorists. And one of the things that they would do, they would get this little knife that's called a sikar, and they would stab Roman soldiers when they weren't looking. And they particularly were disgusted by Jews that sold out, like tax collectors. So what does Jesus do? He recruits Levi Matthew, the tax collector. I mean, Jesus recruits people that you would never think would be in Team Jesus. He also recruits some hotheads. There's Peter, Simon Peter and his fishing buddies, his fishing partners, James and John, the sons of thunder, as they were called. Also rolling with Team Jesus is Judas. Jesus permits Judas to walk with him for three and a half years, and he was stealing the entire time from their treasury. Now, you're probably asking yourself the same question that Kim Allen Johnson asks in the book, The Gift. In his book, The Gift, Kim Allen Johnson asks this question. He says, so why did Jesus choose such men as disciples? One answer is that the Savior knew that selecting people as followers, listen, whose, whose lives were headed in the opposite direction of all he stood for would demonstrate the power of the gospel to change selfish hearts. He knew that such men would make marvelous allies if he could turn their longing to destroy into a longing to love. Aren't you glad we serve a merciful Savior? In order to accomplish this, Jesus had one more play in his book. As John writes his account of these events, he spends the first 12 chapters of the gospel according to John, he spends the first 12 chapters focusing on the public ministry of Jesus. However, in chapter 13, there is a shift from the public to the private. And for the next five chapters, 
John records Jesus longing for his disciples to get what he and his kingdom are all about. It was customary for the Jews in that time during the Passover to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, within the walls of Jerusalem. Now you've got to understand, around the same time, Jesus was being hunted by the Jewish authorities. They were wanting to arrest Jesus. And so Jesus, wanting to celebrate the Passover, goes within the walls of Jerusalem, but he finds a secure and a secret and a private location, a home, an upper room. And so there they are, Jesus gathered with the disciples, reclining at a table. And I want you to listen to the passion in Jesus' voice in Luke chapter 22, verse 15. Luke chapter 22 and verse 15. Listen to the passion in Jesus' voice as he says to his disciples. He says, with fervent desire. With fervent what? With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Over and over and over again, Jesus is constantly trying to get them to understand that I'm not here to set up a temporal kingdom. I'm here to set up the kingdom of God through suffering, through dying in your place. Commenting on this very scene, Peter Walker in his book, In the Steps of Jesus, says that Jesus intended for this evening to be etched deeply in the memories of his followers. Every word and action was was important. It was an unrushed few hours before the gathering storm. It was a time for enjoying friendship and privileged intimacy, a time for his followers to be formed into a unique team, a time for dramatic symbols and actions. And now John, through inspiration from the Holy Spirit, he is ushering us now into the very mindset of Jesus as he's about to celebrate the Passover in these final moments with his 12 friends. We pick up the story in John chapter 13 and verse 1. John chapter 13 and verse 1. John is now giving us a glimpse into the very mindset of Jesus as he's about to settle, as he's about to have the Passover with the disciples. The Bible says in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew, Jesus what? When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. Now, I want you to pause right there because the next few verses, the next few words that you're about to read, John is actually setting the tone for the next five chapters. The next five chapters, John chapter 13 all the way to John chapter 17, right here, John is setting the tone. And so we read, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the what, everybody? The end. Continuing in verse 2. And supper being ended. The devil, having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing, Jesus what, everybody? That the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. 
took a towel and girded himself. And here we see that John wants us to know, John wants us to know that Jesus was fully aware of everything in that moment. He knew exactly who he was. He came from God and was going back to God. Are you with me? He was confident in his identity with the Father. Yet he was also keenly aware of the faulty characters, the prideful spirit, and quite frankly, the flat-out selfish condition of his followers. And this is what Jesus needs you to know today, family. He loves you to the end while knowing your sinful condition. He loves you to the end while knowing your sinful condition condition. You see, Jesus is not blind to what's happening in your heart. He sees our pitiful condition, and he still wants us. He sees our our trifling ways sometimes, and he still wants to draw close to you. It's like buying a new car. You know, on the first day that Deidre and I got here, when we moved here from Michigan, one of the very first things that we did was I bought a new car. I bought a 2011 Hyundai Elantra. And uh, the car that I had was, was basically a hoopty, so I pretty much had to buy a new car when I got here. I, I ordered it and kind of set it aside so that when I got here, I went to the CarMax, which is like right down the road from my house, and bought a new car. But, you know, whenever you buy a new car, you're always a little bit worried about what you're going to buy, okay? You don't want to buy a lemon. You know, people use different terms for cars that are broke down and beat down and wrecked up from the neck up and beat up from the feet up, and toe up from the flow up. You know what it is when you're trying to buy a car, but I want to tell you today that Jesus, Jesus is like someone that's going to buy a car. And when he gets to the car dealership, the salesman is wanting to show him all of the new cars on the lot. He wants to get him to buy the new cars, to check this one out and check that one out. But Jesus sees a car off to the side that doesn't look too good. He sees a car that doesn't even have a price tag on it. And he asks the salesman, I want to see that car. The salesman is quickly trying to get him away from that. What what, what are you talking about? That car. I want to see that car. And Jesus is like that man that insists on seeing the car. And the the, the salesman is going, well, why does he want to see that car? It's a mess. It's, it's, It's an old car. Nobody's driving this car. I want to see that car. And he takes them to see that car. And then he asks to see underneath the hood. How many of you know that Jesus knows what's underneath your hood? And he says, I need to see what's under the hood. And the guy is like, listen, you don't want to see what's underneath that hood. He says, no, I do want to see what's underneath that hood. And he opens the hood. And Jesus is like that man, knowing the condition, knowing how terrible and beat down and broke down this car is. He says, I want that one. I want this car. It's not for sale, sir. I don't care. I want this car. You see, knowing our condition, Jesus still wants us. Jesus knows that he can take that which is broken and he can fix it. Jesus knows he can take that which is broke down and rejected and he can take it and turn it around and make it brand new. You see, Jesus is not blind to our circumstances. Throughout this entire chapter, 
John wants us to see that Jesus knows everything that's going on. He wants you to know that Jesus knows. In verse 1, Jesus knows that his hour has come. In verse 3, Jesus knows that the Father has given him all things, that he came from God and that he was going to God. In verse 11, Jesus knows who will betray him. In verse 18, Jesus knows who he has chosen. In verse 38, Jesus knows Peter will deny him. Jesus knows, later on you see that Jesus knows that all the disciples will betray him, will desert him rather, that very night. Nothing has escaped his attention. Yet the Bible says he loved them to the end. In some of your translations, it may say that he loved them to the utmost. He loved them to the end. At this moment, Jesus is also fully aware that he is Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the lawgiver, the the creator, the sustainer of the universe, the hope of Israel, the desire of all nations. Jesus knew his identity with the Father. And if there was anybody in that room that deserved the title of the greatest, it was Jesus. If there was anybody that deserved to be called the greatest in that room, it was Jesus. Yet in Luke 22, verse 24, Luke 22, verse 24, we're told that Jesus also knew that there was a dispute among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. I read that and I'm just blown away. The Son of God, God in human flesh, is in their very midst, and they're having a debate as to which one of them is the greatest. You know, as I read my Bible, I don't remember any of them raising the dead. As I read my Bible, I don't remember any of them claiming to be the great I am. If there was anybody that could have said, hey, guess what, guys, if you hadn't noticed, I'm the greatest. But Jesus didn't have to say that, did he? Can you imagine the audacity of such a debate? The greatest in their midst, God in human flesh. And by the way, none of them was willing, by the way, to swallow their pride and do the ancient courtesy of washing their feet since no servant was available to do it. Nobody even budged to do it for Jesus. Jesus sees this and he says in Luke 22, verse 27, he knows what's going on and he sees this and he says, for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? And here it is, yet I am among you as one who serves. As one who what? As one who serves. Now you gotta understand, the Gospel of Luke was written before the Gospel of John. And so John picks up on this one verse and he expounds on it in an entire chapter, John chapter 13. And so in verse four, of John chapter 13, John tells us what Jesus did next to show them who was the greatest. He rises from the table in silent majesty and lays aside his hemation, which is in the Greek, the hemation, the outer garment. 
And he takes a towel and he girds himself, which meant he was identifying himself as a slave, taking the form of a servant, the greatest, taking the form of a slave. You see, Jesus knows the true condition of our hearts. He knows the pride that stains our characters. He knows the guilt and the shame that we carry. He knows about the sin that many of us keep falling into. And although he knows all about it, he doesn't turn in disgust. Can somebody say amen? He doesn't write you off. He takes the form of a servant and he draws close to minister to you. He's relentless in his pursuit of, his, of your heart, and he wants you to do the same in turn. He wants you also to be confident in who you are in him. Jesus knew where he was coming from. He knew where he was going. He wants you to do the same. He wants you to be confident of who you are in him so that you too can draw close to the broken, so that you can draw close to the suffering, so that you can draw close to the prideful and even those that are difficult to love. Jesus wants you to do the same thing he did. He loves you to the end, knowing your sinful condition, and he wants you in turn to do the same for others. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He gets in position. He kneels down. We pick up the story in verse 5. John chapter 13 and verse 5. He says, the, the account says, and that, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. He began to wash their feet. See, Jesus takes things to the next level when it comes to service. He doesn't merely try to tell them that he loves them to the end. He shows them. We're told by the pen of inspiration that he begins to wash the feet of the disciples by beginning with Judas. How many of you would begin with Judas if you were Jesus? The person that's talking behind your back. He begins with Judas, his betrayer. I want you to behold your God. Behold your God and be astonished at how far he will go to reach sinful, even degenerate humanity. Jesus doesn't ascend into greatness, rather he stoops into greatness. He stoops. He comes close. This same Jesus wants you to know today that he loves you to the end by demonstrating his love in humble service. What kind of service did I say? Humble service. As Jesus was washing away the dirt off their crusty Galilean feet, he was washing the sinful pride from their hearts. I remember how I felt when Nikki came over with her husband to help us pack and to clean. Now, would you believe this? And I want to let you guys know just right off the bat, Deidre and I keep a pretty clean home. Amen? Amen. But the first place she went to clean was our bathroom. I want to let you know, we keep a pretty clean home, but it still felt awkward, didn't it? 
it, it just felt strange. And for me, I'm looking at Nikki, I said, you know, this is the person that I brought, you know, to the baptismal pool, you know, this is our friend. She doesn't need to be doing this. This is beneath Nikki. Why is she doing this? But you know, the second thought came across my mind as I was watching her there. Her little baby was on the ground in the, in the blanket, just playing, and I said to myself, would I do that? Would I stoop in service in humility just out of love with disinterested benevolence? Would I do that? She taught me more about Jesus than I taught her. And Jesus now makes his way to Peter to wash his feet, and Peter refuses. He feels it beneath, very much like how I felt with Nikki. He feels it beneath his master to wash his feet like a slave. He tells Jesus in verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. What Peter doesn't realize is that by refusing to let Jesus wash his feet, he was in the same sense, in a sense, refusing to let Jesus wash the sin away from his soul, ultimately demonstrated at the cross of Christ. Now, I love Peter's response when Jesus breaks this down to him because basically, Peter says, well, if that's the case, Jesus, give me a bath. I mean, if that's the, I mean, you got to love Peter, you know what I'm saying? He's, he's all in or he's all out, but either way, he's going all the way, you know? And Peter says, Peter says, give me a bath if that's the case. I want all of you, Jesus. But I love what Jesus says to him in verse 10. He says, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. What? Peter, who is about to, do, to deny you three times with cursing, is already clean? How is that so? Well, you see, in a literal sense, the people in the first century generally bathed before attending a feast and only needed to wash their feet from the dust of the journey to the feast. But Jesus picks up on that imagery to communicate that a full body bath represents the full cleansing from sin at baptism. The foot washing represents the ongoing cleansing needed after baptism. So the good news about foot washing is that believers are not in and out of God's grace. I'm going to say that again. Believers are not in and out of God's grace. They are secure as long as they do not turn away from Jesus. Just stay with Jesus, and he'll continue to cleanse you. He'll continue to purify you. But you see, the service of humility that Jesus wants to accomplish in our lives is more than just a ceremony once a quarter, but a cleansing from sin that draws us to him in love and to each other in unity. It is, as Paul calls it, the ministry of reconciliation. And Jesus was committed to this same work. He has committed us to also participate in this same work, to love and to serve one another in humility. Three times, Jesus calls the disciples to demonstrate this kind of loving service. Go with me real quick. John chapter 13 and verse 14. John chapter 13 and verse 14. Three times Jesus calls them to do this in this chapter. He says in verse 14, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15, 
For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verse 17. If you know these things, blessed or happy are you if you do them. I want to let you know this is more than just the ceremony of washing each other's feet. This is an attitude of service in humility, in love. Jesus is asking us to demonstrate the same kind of love that he just demonstrated to his disciples just then. But I also want to let you know that Jesus did something to raise the bar of the impact of the love that he had for them. When he was giving them the, the grape juice, when he was giving them the grape juice in the Last Supper ceremony, symbolizing his shed blood for our forgiveness, he says to them, and I want you to get this, he says to them, drink from it, all of you. Drink from it, all of you. Are you hearing me? Drink from it, all of you. Now at this point, Judas is still in, in the midst. Peter is still in the midst. In my holy imagination, I'm seeing Jesus as he says, drink from it, all of you, looking at Judas. Drink from it, all of you. In his presence, Peter is hearing this, drink from it, all of you. He would deny him three times. Drink from it, all of you. The rest of the disciples would desert him that very night. Drink from it, all of you. You know what Jesus is saying to us today? He's saying, I have already forgiven you. Because of the blood shed at Calvary, symbolized by the grape juice, he's saying, I've already forgiven you, Judas. I've already forgiven you, Peter. Drink from it, all of you. Jesus was trying to communicate his love and forgiveness to Judas, who would betray him, Peter, who would deny him, and the rest of the disciples. He wanted them to know that he loved them to the utmost, and he did this so that they could get a glimpse of how he wanted them to treat each other. Are you hearing me today? He's asking us to do the same thing today, family. As the saying goes, he wants us to preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Love demonstrated by actions of service have an attitude of humility that is attractive. Jesus says that the greatest among you is he or she who serves. Have you asked yourself recently, friends, do I come to RPC to receive or to give in service? Are 20% of the people doing 80% of the serving while 80% of the people watch the 20% burn out? You see, it's by giving that you receive. And I want you to listen to this really quick. A non-serving Christian is a contradiction. A non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms. He calls us to serve as he served, and he says, blessed or happy are you. You want to be happy in your life? Serve as Jesus served. I want to say in conclusion, Jesus goes on to give them a new commandment in verse 34. Do you love the word of God? Verse 34, Jesus gives them a new commandment. He says a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another by this. All will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's a lot of things that Jesus could have said right there. 
Jesus could have said it was by the health message that all will know that you are my disciples. It's by your awesome praise and worship ministry. It's by the plethora of ministries that you have, and they are all good, but he didn't say that. Those are all good, but Jesus said, it is by the love that you have for one another that will let people know that you belong to me. You know, I was watching a video this week, and Ja Rule, how many of you are familiar with the rapper Ja Rule from the late 90s, early 20s? Ja Rule, ja Rule was talking about how he became a Christian. Did you know that Ja Rule has become a Christian? Uh, he's been featured now in a film, uh, a Christian-based film. And Ja Rule was talking about the church that he went to where he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And the whole time I was listening to that interview, I was saying, I, I, I wish that was a Seventh-day Adventist church. Ja, ja Rule said he went to this church and he saw people from all walks of life, backgrounds, cultures. The pastor was, was accepting and caring. He said, he said that when he went there, he felt that he was accepted. And he felt that he was loved. Did you hear what he said? He didn't say, man, that praise and woo, that music. And I'm sure he enjoyed the music. He didn't say it was the style of worship. It was the love. And he said these words, I'll never forget it. He said, that's when I felt that I can be a Christian. That's when I felt I could be a Christian. I want to leave you with this. Tim Allen Johnson in his book, The Team, he says these, these provocative and powerful words. He says, the Lord's desire was that the oneness among the disciples and his people down through time would be so countercultural, so profoundly different from society at large, such a source of amazement that now, I want you to listen to these words, that unbelievers would acknowledge it and say it had to be supernatural. That's not natural. People are loving each other. He said, words are cheap, but a living demonstration cannot be denied. The spirit of prophecy indicates that the strongest witness that God has sent his son into the world is the existence of harmony and union among men of varied dispositions who form his church. Wow. I want to say this in conclusion. Jesus is looking for us to be believers that are experiencing his love while intentionally leading others to do the same. Amen? He loved them to the end in an immediate sense as he demonstrated that in washing their feet. He loved them to the end the very next day as he hung there on the cross for you and I. But you know, he also says that I love you to the very end. We are a Ladies and gentlemen, last day members, and fellow disciples, welcome. You, not only did I love Please you to the end back then when I, struck, when, 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 I, when I was hung on a cross, but I will love you to the end in a virtual reality tour of time. Of what God is gracious. To the very end of time, I will love you. And this is what I also want to let you know. Jesus' love for you will never end. It will never end. You know, love is an interesting thing. I can already hear, I can already hear somebody say, man, these preachers, all they've been talking about is love. Love, 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 love. love. But 
I want to tell you this. Ellen White says something. Auntie Ellen in the book Desire of Ages, verse page 22, she says this. It is only by love, love is awakened. To know God is to love him. And I want to ask you the question, if you don't sense intellectually but also emotionally, if you don't feel drawn to God in love, it may be that you don't truly know him yet. Because if you got to know him, you love him. It's by focusing on his love that love in your heart is aroused. And then you can now give that to others. The first fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. I want to tell you as we close a story of love that matches the love of the Father. Many years ago, a little boy was in a tragic accident. He was rushed to the hospital in critical condition. The boy needed an immediate blood transfusion. No donor could be found. His father had the same blood type and agreed to donate blood. The doctors began to do a direct blood transfusion from the father's arm to the son. As the blood flowed directly from his arm through a plastic tube into his son's still body, he looked up at the physician and with tears in his voice said, Doctor, if you need, if you need to, take it all. Doctor, I am willing to give all my blood for my son. Our Heavenly Father looked at a world he created and saw it lost in sin. He gave all heaven could give in his son. Jesus said, Father, if you need to, take it all. Take it all because I need them in my kingdom. I love them to the end. To the end of myself, I love them to the end. How can we turn away from such a love? Thank you for listening to Living for Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend his reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on, and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ.
Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.